Thank you. Thank you, team. It's just a real privilege to be able to worship the Lord together. It's such a privilege to be able to gather together and see faces and see Corny's boots. I feel like there's a prophetic something about those boots. There was flames on there. Anyone notice Corny's boots? There's flames on there. I feel like Corny's feet are getting hot right now. Is Corny here? I can't see him. There he is. He's gone, is he? They were anointed messages. Every part of the service feels good, you know? Just feels good. Thank you for, um, Jalan, for inviting me to share. And uh, I just love Pansy. Often Elaine and I talk about the people coming to John the Baptist in the wilderness. You drive along uh, Pansy. You, there's a sign now that says Pansy. And you look around. And there's a house there, a house there, a, a church building there, and another thing there, and that's it, you know. You come here and there's all these people. It's like John the Baptist in the wilderness. He even looks like John the Baptist. <laughs> Except that you probably need some more bees around you. Uh, just privileged to be here. Just love what the Holy Spirit is doing here. I want to uh, look at the house of God and exhort you in the house of God about the house of God this morning. I'm reading from 1 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, Paul is saying to his son Timothy, But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God. So um, number one thing we established, that the house of God is the church. Not the building, but people gathered. God's heart is with gathering people. That's why Jesus said, When two or three are gathered in my name, I will manifest myself there. My power will be there. My presence will be there. So never get confused about a building being the church. We say we go to church. Actually, we don't. We go to building and meet with the church. And you're the church. And you're the body of Christ, which I'll go into later. But what I like about this, he says, here's the father talking to his son. He says, and in uh, King James, it, it's, it's beautiful. He says, uh, I want to remind you of how to behave in the house of God. Now, this is God's house, and he has the rules, and we must behave according to his house rules. And so I was thinking, what, what is it, what is our behavior meant to look like? Well, I, I've, I've brought it down really simply, just three things. Number one, is to have a vision for the glory of God in the house of God. Firstly, to have a vision for the house of God. Secondly, to love the master of the house. And thirdly, to love the house. That's very simple. Have vision for the house, because your vision will drive you, will draw you, will, will motivate you. If you've got no vision for the house of God, You'll come on a Sunday, you'll go home and have lunch. You'll be just thinking, while I'm preaching, you're just thinking about lunch. Right now, I can see. 
No, no, I see everyone's hungry for the Word of God. But if you've got a vision for, the, for what God wants to do in the house, you'll be hungry for the house. And it'll give you direction. It'll give you power to work, work and walk through things when this opposition comes. Because you say, no, but the house. God's got a plan for His house. And His plan is that His house would be full of His glory. That is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit working powerfully in His people. That's my vision. And that's, I believe, what the vision that the Lord wants to impart to us from His Word. And as I've, over, when I was young, a lot younger than now, the Lord just opened this, this scripture up out of Second Chronicles to me, and it's just stuck with me all these years about Solomon building the temple and the glory of God coming into the temple. And, and the Lord just laid that on my heart. This is my vision for the church. It was partly fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when the power of God came and was released in the church. But he said in uh, Haggai that the glory of the latter house, which is what we're in now, will be greater than this former house, which was Solomon's temple. And we saw powerful glory getting released in Solomon's temple. So let's read uh, in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 5. And we're talking about having a vision for the house of God. Verse 11. It came to pass, well, actually, I'll go down to verse uh, 13. Uh, Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. When they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, for he is good for his mercy endures forever, forever, that the house... The house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests could not stand to minister. In the Hebrew, uh, in some of the versions, it said, could not continue to minister. The priests, the human beings, could not continue to minister. But actually in the Hebrew, it says they couldn't stand. The power of God was so powerful in that place that all the priests stopped ministering. There's no more preaching. There's no more teaching. They were just, the Holy Spirit came. And his presence filled the whole building. That's the vision that God wants us to have for Pansy Chapel, for the churches in in the area, for the churches in Manitoba, for the whole church in the world, that his glory would come and be seen throughout the whole world. That's his vision. Our vision is so small alongside that. I speak to myself as well. Times you just get, oh, Boy, you see a couple of little kids bickering rather than seeing the glory of God coming into the house. And so we've got to shift our thinking. And in verse 11, it gives us a bit of an understanding. It's a beautiful um, statement here. Coming up to this time of the presence of the Lord coming, it says, And it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place, and then in brackets, in parenthesis, it says this. It's describing the priests. And this is the forerunner to the glory of God coming. What does it say about the priests? It says that all of the priests had sanctified themselves, or they'd given of themselves completely to the Lord, 
not holding to their divisions. So every priest, uh, there's a whole bunch of priests that were ministering in, in, the, uh, in the house or the temple. Each of them had a section or a, a division. And that they would be, this is my division, and I'm fulfilling my, my place, I'm fulfilling my job. And then they're finished, and then the other guy would come in and say, yeah, this is my division. And we look at them here, they just said, we, they would just gave themselves to the house. Not keeping to their divisions. Not keeping to their little bit of territory. Not keeping to their pet doctrine or their ideas about masks. Oops. Not keeping to these things that divide. But it says that they all came just without keeping to all that, and they just started worshiping God as one. With one voice to be heard. What does God hear from Pansy Chapel? Is it one voice to be heard? We want to see the glory of God come. There's a whole lot of stuff that you can talk about. And you can have your divisions on this, that, and the other thing. It's just saying to Delane, I just keep under the parapet for most of that stuff. I don't want to be fired on. I don't want to be part of a battle that's unimportant. I just want to see the glory of God come to the church. That's what I'm giving myself to. That's why I put aside the division and just go for it. That's why I pray for the church. Let's just put aside the division. Go for the Lord. And yeah, if there's something, well, just let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. But, but no, let it go. Shake it off. Here you go. There's some prophetic thing here. Everyone get their hands like this and then shake it off. Oh, some of you didn't shake very hard. It'll be clinging to you as you go out the door again. But anyway. Have a vision for the house that overrules your own vision, your own divisions. Division. Vision with a die in front of it. This is very quite deep. Die vision. Die meaning separate or dying. So have a vision for the house. And make it really simple. What's the vision for the house? For the Holy Spirit to come. For Jesus to be here. Whatever that is, we want a gun for that. Whatever that is. If it brings Jesus, we're for it. The house is nothing without the king in the house. And it's very easy to see that we can grieve the Holy Spirit so that the king says, I'll go somewhere else for now. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Get the vision for the house and go for it. In the book of Haggai, we get this beautiful prophetic. I just about said the wrong thing. We get this beautiful prophetic word that God 
uh, is bringing down to this age, the latter days. Before Jesus were the former days, after Jesus are the latter days. Don't get all hung up about where the latter days are. They're just after Jesus. Former days, latter days. And there's a word comes because that, what they're doing, they were brought back from captivity. And God says, you need to build the house. And some of them had seen Solomon's temple that we had just described in its beauty and in the power of God. And what now they're looking at a few bricks on the ground and they're thinking, what is this miserable thing? We saw something before and sometimes that is a real danger when we start saying, back in the old days, because a lot of us revert to when God touched us. Back, back then. What we need is God touching us now. I can revert back to, to various times in my life when there was a powerful move of the Holy Spirit in my life, which changed me from, from, from being... I, I, I could not stand the mediocre anymore. I wanted to see God move as I'd seen Him move. But I can't live back there. I've got to live now and have vision for what God can do right now. And so some of these were looking back at the, at the old temple and saying, oh, the temple was so nice there. And then he brings a prophetic word to them. And he says, you see this? this that, these few rocks, they're nothing in your sight. But he says, I am going to fill this house with my glory. And he's not talking about these few bricks. He's talking about the latter house. He says, I'm going, the glory of the latter house or the church is going to be greater than the glory of Solomon's temple. What you saw in a picture, shadow form in Solomon's temple is going to be outworked in my church, this house. And my Holy Spirit, I will pour out. And, of course, we saw the opening of that, the start of that at the day of Pentecost, where, again, there were 120 in that upper room with one sound, seeking God, hungering for God, saying, God, won't you move? Won't you move? We don't know how you're going to move. See, some of the time we had this preconceived idea how God should move. In fact, I've been with people saying, God, move whatever way that you want to move. And then when he started to move in a certain way, he said, not that way, Lord, but every other way we want you to move. Are you willing just to say, God, whatever, I just want to see life. I just want to see you move, whatever it is. Move. Please. How did I start that one? What was I saying, Jalen? You can't remember either, can you? <laughs> Hallelujah. We want to see the glory come to the house. And if it's some other way than you really wanted prescribed, just give, give over to God and say, Lord, I don't understand it, but really I want you to move more than anything else is I want you to move. And I remember when God uh, touched me, uh, and, and I was getting pretty religious at that stage, full of judgment, 
and religion. It's disgusting when religion comes into the church. No relationship with God or, or your relationship comes into an out-of-kilter thing where you're working for God and you're judging other people and then you're judging yourself more because you're judging other people. And God got a hold of me and I started crying. When I can still remember where I was sitting in the church building. And I just started crying. And I wept and wept and wept. And then I stopped weeping. When the tears, when the reservoir ran out, I stopped weeping and then I started laughing. And I was rolling around the floor laughing and laughing and laughing. The other seemed more spiritual to me than this. But God wanted to do this to my life. He wanted to shift off the religion, shake it off, and bring me joy. And he's done so. And I wouldn't trade it for the world. So this glory, the glory of the latter house, he has promised to be greater than the former. Be open. Be hungry. Draw on the Holy Spirit. Ask him to come. Lord, I'm tired of just just going through the motions. I want to see your power released. I want to see people healed just as they're worshiping the Lord because the power of God is so strong in the place. I want to see people convicted. Remember one time we were, we were um, in this meeting and I suddenly became aware of this guy just ran forward to the front and I heard later he'd been standing at the back and he was total non-believer and he's standing at the back like this. And he's watching these people with their hands in the air. He says, what a bunch of crazies. And he says, all of a sudden, and he was ridiculing us. All of a sudden, he said, I started to get this, this, this sadness in my heart. He didn't know how to describe conviction. But the Holy Spirit came on with conviction. And he just, all of a sudden, he says, my hands just went up in the air. And he says, I just... I just have to go to the front. And he just ran to the front and on the ground. That's what I want to see in the house. That can happen. I've seen it happen. Let's hunger for more of that. And be willing to have some messy places. I lost some of my dignity, but it's okay. You know, before I was very dignified. So we need to love, have a vision for the house. Secondly, we need to love the master of the house. We're talking about good behavior in the house of the Lord. Love the master. There are two extremes. God is, as I was just preparing this this morning, it just felt like just this word extreme came to me. How God is extreme. We, we like God to be nice and calm and everything to be wonderful, but God is extreme. He's extreme in his forgiveness for you. And he's extreme in his demands upon you. Look at this in uh, Colossians. In chapter 1, and I'll start in verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind, 
by wicked works, he now has reconciled. He's At one moment, you're going that direction, you're shunning God, you're an enemy of God, but you hear his word and his invitation, and he brings you and he reconciles, brings you right back into his presence, reconciles you. The shift is enormous. It's extreme. He's reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. The whole point is that Jesus paid the price for our sin and for our reconciliation to the Father. Jesus has paid the total, total price. To present you holy, blameless, and above reproach. That's who I am. I'm holy. Say with me, I am holy. I like that. I am blameless. I am above reproach. Can you imagine saying, walking around and saying that? I'm holy. I'm blameless. I'm above reproach. Sounds arrogant, doesn't it? It sounds extreme. And that's what our God is. He's extreme. He has paid the price to make you holy, blameless, and above reproach when you stand before Him. There's nothing you can add to that. Not one thing that you can add to that. You cannot take away your own shame. You cannot take away your own guilt. But He has done it. He says, you're blameless. I look at you through Jesus, if you've received Jesus. Obviously, you have to receive what has been given to you. And that's a beautiful thing about the gospel. It's the good news. Receive Jesus, and you become holy, blameless, and above reproach. No amount of fasting will get you any better no amount of good works will get you any better. No amount of going to church on Sunday will get you any better. All of those things should come out of a relationship of loving the Master because what He's done for us. And it's very easy to get religious. And to start, and, and the problem is with getting religious, you start to think that maybe you've got some brownie points on this whole thing. Like the elder brother. I've worked all my life for you. And now this fool, when he comes back from wasting his life, you're giving him a party. Yes! That's the whole point. He takes us from the pig pen and he gives us a party. If we haven't grasped that, we will live in religion. We will live in shame. We will live in regret. But he wants us to live in joy for the release of all this off my back. It's gone. It's gone. All the shame. It's gone. Every time the, the enemies tried to bring it back, no. Because of the blood of Jesus, I'm blameless. 
No reproach. It's gone. However, however, he's so extreme on this side, he's also very extreme on the other side. And he looks at us and he says, I want you to give me your life totally. Every part of it. Because while we can swing, we're also very extreme. We swing towards the law and legalism and trying to make ourselves right. We also swing the other direction to lawlessness. God's forgiven me. I am a friend with Jesus and, and I let him know sometimes what I'm up to. That's the other extreme. But God says, I want your heart. I want your plans. I want your desires. I want you fully to surrender yourself to me. When I was uh, reading in about the Apostle Paul uh, in the midst of the shipwreck, and if there ever was a man who was surrendered to God, it's Paul. And the, and the, amount, the thing that I see with Paul talking about behavior in the house of God, I, I see that here's a guy that's totally surrendered to God. He's been beaten up. He's, been, uh, he's given away all his stuff. And, uh, and now he's in prison and chains, and he's just saying, give thanks to God. All things work together for good because he knew who he was and who God was. And he says here in, in uh, Acts 27 and verse 23, For there stood by me this night an angel of God, listen to this, to whom I belong. He knew the ownership issue was dealt with. Can I ask you, is the ownership issue in your life, has it been resolved? Do you belong to God? Or do you belong to you and give God a little bit of room occasionally to touch you or you run to him when you're in a crisis and ask for help and find that he helps you? That's the blessing about our Almighty Father. He never turns us away. But Paul had this ownership issue figured out. In fact, when you read his, his uh, letters, you often see Paul saying, Paul, a bond slave of Jesus. You don't see him write, Paul, a friend of Jesus, even though he knew he was. Like when Jesus said to the disciples, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. But we can abuse that. In the end, Paul says, I am a bond slave of Jesus. And James says the same thing. Peter says the same thing. They saw themselves as having totally given up their rights to Jesus. And he says, <clears throat> to whom I belong and whom I serve. That's that's it. He's a bond slave. When you see in, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 16, you see the picture of the bond slave. After every seven years or after, after 49 years, a Hebrew slave had to be released. Couldn't hold on to them. For whatever reason, they were in bondage to their, to their um, fellow Hebrew, whether debt or whatever it was, at that time of seven years they had to be released but 
it says in there that if at that time of release, when they were free, free to go, they said, because I love the master, my master, and because I love the house, I refuse to go, I'm staying. And they gave up their entire life to serve the master and the house. It wasn't one or the other. It was they're knit together because the house and the master are one. And so Paul had sorted out that ownership issue. He was a bond slave. So we really need to get this thing of loving the master. Paul loved the master. There was no issue. He gave everything for him because Jesus had given everything for him. What's not to release? I remember my grandmother, the powerful woman of God, she gave me a, a very powerful book called Full Surrender. I would have liked it if it just said surrender or partial surrender, or, but this was full surrender. And I ventured into that book several times before I could finally get into it. Because what it was doing was saying what full surrender is all about. Giving up your whole life to Jesus. And I want to challenge you. Get into it. It's, it's pointless. Striving against the Holy Spirit. When it's such a freedom to be fully surrendered to Him. He's not going to... You know, we have this thing of just a faint suspicion that he's going to spoil some of my fun. Well, I guess uh, Paul didn't have that much fun when he was getting beaten up and that sort of thing. But you see his heart fully surrendered and having his eyes fixed on that which was ahead. So he loved the, loved the master. I know when I finally got into, into that book, and I had, there were encounters with the Holy Spirit. God is so good to us. He wants to encounter you by His Holy Spirit. He wants to take you by the hand and lead you. He's not, just, he's not beating you up. When, when I'm preaching, I sound sometimes like I'm beating people up. I'm not, I don't want that to sound like that. God, is, God knows your heart. He knows which one of you, where you're at on the journey. What he wants is your heart knit to his. Return, return that love to him. And thirdly, love the house. It's, it's incredible the picture on the road to Damascus where Paul, who is thinking he is serving God with all his heart, he meets Jesus. And Jesus says this to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and it just completely took Saul, as his name was at the time, completely by, it was, who are you, Lord, he says. He says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now we know Jesus was in heaven. Paul wasn't, Saul wasn't persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting his church. And that is how Jesus wants us to see that he is the head of the body and we're intricately involved 
with him. You can't touch one member of his body without touching Jesus. And that's a very powerful statement, particularly in some of the angst that we have seen in the church over the years. People have lost this understanding that when you touch another member of the body, you are touching Jesus. So we need to we need to see the body in a new light. Jesus, when he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there. In other words, he wants to manifest his presence when people have got their heart turned towards him. That's the church. That's the house of God. That's where we see the glory of God being able to be manifest. Let's come across to Romans 12. Because I want to finish uh, this part by something really bringing a practicality to our whole thing of loving the house, loving, loving the body of Christ. So we've talked about having vision for, for the, basically for the glory of God to come into the church. We've talked about loving the master and giving him our whole life. Now I want to just bring it into what's a practicality of how do we make it work with loving the body. And the main verse I have for this is in Romans chapter 12, and verse 10 it says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. That in itself is an amazing part of, of Scripture. Just turn your heart. This is a command. Just be, turn your hearts with affection towards one another. With brotherly love. And then here's the word. In honor, giving preference to one another. And this is a powerful word. Honor is a very powerful thing. When, when you honor somebody, it is amazing how they blossom. When you recognize that somebody is an important part of the body, you're doing the world of good for unity, for that creating a place for the Holy Spirit to come. And it's very interesting that this verse and the context of it is when Paul is talking about gifts, different gifts in the house of God, in the body of Christ. He talks about these gifts. Um, in fact, I'll start in verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Say that word, function, function. You know what that means? It means to function. So we function differently. Every one of you has a different gifting or functions differently than others. And our honoring of one another is sometimes based 
on the functioning of another person and not on the clarity of the word of God, which says to, in honor, give preference to one another. Even those people who function, that's a good word, isn't it? Function. It's like duct tape. Function. Even those who function very differently from you, who are gifted different from you. And so there are uh, seven gifts given here. And I just want to give you a very brief uh, example of how these different gifts function differently. Uh, so in verse 6, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering, or teaching, or exhorting, or giving, or leading, or mercy. So the seven gifts there. Now I wonder, as I, I gave an example in the previous um, service about, here's these seven people seated, seated around the table at Delane's house, and um, they're all of a different gift. There's a prophet, there's a teacher, there's a a um, giver, there's a mercy person, there's an exhorter, there's a whatever, something, server, leader, all different, seven different gifts, all sitting around the table. Now, something is about to happen which will show what motivates each of these persons or what gifting they walk in. So the, the thing that happens is that Sheila comes through the door and trips on the mat, and lands the whole of the, what did we say? Not chocolate. Yes, spaghetti, I like spaghetti. Lands the whole of the spaghetti on the floor. Now, I want to tell you, each one of those seven people will have a different reaction towards that circumstance. You can even think, what, what would my reaction be if I saw, uh, 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 not necessarily Sheila, but someone come in and, and dump the whole lot of spaghetti on the floor. We know what a server would do, don't we? They would immediately see the spaghetti as their place of ministry. Wipe that thing up. Right? The exhorter, meantime, would make a joke to lighten the whole area. He's not worried about the spaghetti on the floor. He thinks it's quite amusing, really. But he is a little bit concerned about Sheila, so he just lightens the whole thing. Let's just make a joke of it. The teacher, on the other hand, looks at the whole thing and says, Sheila, if when you came through the door, if you'd have lifted your foot just a little bit, none of that would have happened. The leader, facilitator, he would have said, Sue, get them off. Daryl, go and get, uh, go and buy a pizza, etc. Do this, do that, do that. And as I said in the, this morning, if you like ordering people around, as a good leader, if they don't like being ordered around, maybe you're not got this gift. Maybe uh, you got the gift of annoying people. So, so there are negativities as well as positivities on some of these things. And actually, there's not, there's not a gift of annoying. 
So, so don't think that's an excuse to, to be annoying. And so what does the giver do? Immediately, he's not, he just puts his hand in his pocket and goes out and buys a pizza, puts it on the table. Nobody even knows he's gone or come back. He doesn't make, he doesn't blow a trumpet and say, I'm, I'm a giver, I'm a giver. He just gives and gets great satisfaction from material giving. A mercy person, they immediately run to the person, the person who has had the most embarrassing situation and just put their arms around it. It doesn't matter about the spaghetti. It doesn't matter about the food. It's you. And this great comfort comes. Did I miss anyone? Prophet. The prophet would, would probably go like this. And just look at <laughs> look around. You know the prophet in the house is is actually full of my mum, she's a prophet. And I was say, saying to someone earlier, I'm saying a prophet in the way of motivation. There are different prophets and prophecy. You've got the ministry gifts, you've got a gift of a prophet, which is not the same thing as we're talking about. In the prophecy gift, um, we call them motivational gifts. A person is motivated towards truth and can tell when somebody's telling the truth or not. They tend to be able to see through people. Really nice to have around. And truth is extremely important to them. I remember my dear mother, when, when uh, a certain, oh, I can't go into the details, but anyway, her sister was saying, well, at least they're happy. My mom says, what's happiness got to do with it? It was truth that was the important thing. <laughs> Not happiness. It's truth and, and serving God. And so the prophetic people in the, in the church tend to get a bit of a hard time. And we tend to like mercy people because they're all cuddly. And I, Although I can't say that I like getting cuddled by people all the time. But there is a sense in the church now we say love, mercy. We don't say confrontation. But we need confrontation as well as comfort. We need analytical people like a teacher who can put things down and have the details all worked out. We need people who can lead without people getting grumpy around them. We need people who can do serving, and find their whole satisfaction in serving. When you're having a working bee, you do not put a server in control of it because you find that they're, they're just doing all the work and getting quite annoyed at the exhorter who is just making jokes and talking over this side. You never put an exhorter in charge of a working bee or even invite him. I'm an exhorter, by the way. I just like to make a joke and lighten things up and then get out of it. So you see, every gift has a different motivation. And God has put you all in the body with your gift. And he said, in honor, prefer or show preference 
towards your brother or sister. Once we start seeing how important each member of the body is for this body to function together and provide a place for the Holy Spirit to come and be manifest, then we start seeing the vision. We can do it. It's going to be good. Amen? That's it. Let's pray. Father, we, we just loved the picture of your house where your glory dwells. We don't want... Um, we don't want a dry old religion. We, we've no interest in that. We want to see your presence manifest in your house. We want to see healings. We want to see people released from bondages. Demons going from their life. We want to see people that, are, that are, uh, come out of darkness into your life and have a shift of authority over their life. We long to see the fullness of your glory coming to your church. Lord, we think of that word in, in Haggai where it says that all the earth will come to the desire of nations. And we thank you, Lord, that the desire of nations is your house with you being resident. So, Lord, lift our vision afresh for the church. Lift our vision afresh even for our own lives. That we would lay down those things, that we shake off those things that have just caused division. We just shake them off in Jesus' name and go for the glory in the house. That we would love you, Lord Jesus, that we, you would love you, our Heavenly Father, for what you've done for us. And that we would love the house. Lord, help us to honor one another. To recognize differences in giftings and motivations. And to, to honor that. To celebrate that. And to see this whole body functioning in an amazing way. So it's nothing to do with, with uh, religion. It's to do with this relationship. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done, Lord. Amen.